Welcome back to the show, everyone. It's Dina Calmetta here and Susan Davis with Jesus 24-7. And today we're going to continue in the series Revelation for Beginners. And I have Susan with me here. So Susan, welcome back to the show. Well, thanks so much, Dina. Glad to be back. Absolutely. Okay, Dina, we're going to talk about chapter 17, which is going to take us into an overview of the one world religion, which is the mystery Babylon. But we really want people to be sure to go right into chapter 18 in the next video as we discuss the Babylon that represents the one world government. And so they really are tied together. So we implore you to just keep going as we talk about these two Babylons. Well, as we do in all our previous videos of this, we kind of have to give a little post view of what we've covered, just a little outline, just very brief. I'm just going to give you a little background. The book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, is a revelation, a vision given to the disciple John by Jesus Christ himself. And John at this point is a much older man than he was when he was originally one of the 12 disciples. So he's much older. We find him on the island of Patmos, and he's there serving time, and no doubt for his testimony of Jesus. But he is amazingly given this fantastic vision that the Lord reveals to him the future. And this book is definitely for us today because we are living it right now, okay? So let's take a look at where the church is at this point, what we've covered. And oh, by the way, Dina, mm -hmm. the main theme of the book of Revelation is that God was, God is, and God will be. That's, that's our main theme. Amen. So let's take a look. Just real quickie review. Chapter one is past tense revelation, and it's the introduction of Jesus to bring John into an out-of-body vision situation where he's revealing this to him. And so it's very much introductory, past tense. Present tense would be chapters two and three, which we talk about in prior videos. All this is in prior videos from one up to what we're covering today. So anybody who are joining us at this point, please go back and watch the prior videos and, or you can rewatch them if you want. If something just doesn't make sense, you want to go back and see what's going on in relation to a current chapter. But anyway, chapters two and three are letters from the Lord Jesus to the different churches. Now, not denominations, but actual church individuals, uh, bodies of people who believe certain ways and that sort of thing. So that a lot of these people that Jesus addresses can be within a single church today, even. So that's kind of interesting. But if you go back in there and watch chapters two and three, you'll see that those chapters are present tense because we're in the church age now. And that's exactly where we are within that chapters two and three is considered present tense. Okay, then immediately following that, we go into chapter four. Chapter four is the removal of the church to heaven, the true church, the bride of Christ, not the lukewarm church, but the church that is ready when Jesus returns in the air to call them out. And so you'll have to go back and watch about how that works. And so four and five 
is John seeing the events of heaven, and that is future tense. Actually, 4 through 22 of Revelation is all future, up and coming. That's why we know that this book, Revelation, is written for this group, present tense. So this particular book is for us, and that's why that's one of the reasons we're doing this whole thing of Revelation for beginners is because what a shame that the churches and so many of the Christians are not reading and studying this book because it's so controversial. And why is it controversial? Because there are religious spirits that want to make it controversial. They don't, these demonic religious spirits do not want the Christians to be reading this book and, under, and not just read it, but understand it. So, 4 and 5 takes, uh, John sees the events going on in heaven. He sees the church coming for their crowns, throwing their crowns at the Lord's feet. And he also witnesses Jesus come forward as the only one who can open the seals, the only one worthy. Okay, so at chapter 5, we see the seals being opened by Jesus. And then chapter 6 opens up with the beginning of the 21 judgments of Revelation. And there are 21, and what they are, are they're called seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. Or you could also call them vials. And so the combination of those seals, trumpets, and bowls total 21 complete judgments. And the judgments are from God. Chapter 6 is the beginning of all of that. And it even starts, chapter 6, with the four horses of the apocalypse. I'm sure you've heard of those guys before. The white horse is the introduction of the Antichrist, which immediately follows the rapture in chapter 4 and 5, because the restrainer is taken out of the way so that the Antichrist can come forward. And so then we see the red horse, which is war, and then we open up with the black horse, who is famine and economic disaster, and then we go on to the pale horse, which represents death. And then the rest of the seals are forthcoming in that order. Seals, trumpets, bowls. Now, chapter 6 through 11 are all about tribulation. And then we see chapter 12 through a part of 19 being also about tribulation, and the difference is they run concurrently. Chapter 6 through 11 runs concurrently with chapter 12 through 19 because they are two different takes on the same time period. The tribulation is a seven-year period with three and a half years being a, called a great tribulation. And so we see all of this taking place in chapter 6 through 11 and then 12 through 19. And the best way I can explain this, I've used the example of the four Gospels in the New Testament. Each Gospel, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tells a different version of the same time frame and from four different human perspectives. And so that's how it is for this particular two sections of Revelation. 6 through 11 is a certain perspective of the seven-year tribulation, as well as chapter 12 through 19, a different perspective of that same time frame. And so we also, not only do we learn about the 21 judgments during those periods, we also have a lot of interim stop and start chapters that talk about things just all of a sudden they'll talk about the 144,000 or the two witnesses. And so there's breaks between the action of the 21 judgments. But I really invite you to please go back to those other videos 
<laughs> to get the real real picture of what I just described. Uh, but if you were with us in the last video, we covered the last seven of the 21 judgments, the seven bowls leading up to the grand finale of, you know, the end of the seven-year tribulation. So that's where we left off. Okay, so chapter 17 is what we call Mystery Babylon. And then we go on into 18 and we learn more about the Great Babylon, which is a city. And Mystery Babylon is a woman. And so they're two distinct things, but they're both called Babylon, but they're two different things. Now, Babylon was an ancient culture that was very evil. And so this is why God uses the, the word Babylon symbolically here in Revelation. Although we're really not talking about the ancient civilization Babylon from past. This is the Babylon of future. It is all in reference. You know, God will talk about things like he'll refer to future things or current things as Sodom and Egypt in reference to evil. Right, Dina? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So chapter 7 is all about a prior scripture in Revelation 14.8. So let me reread that for our reference. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So we can definitely see that we're, we're seeing, we're hearing all about Babylon as a woman, okay? And this is all symbolic, there's not actually a real woman, okay? This is symbolic. And so just like in prayer uh, chapter, we hear about Israel as a woman, you know, giving birth. And that was also symbolic. So I think that's why this book has been formally difficult for people to get into because there's so much symbolism, okay? But we're trying to unravel the mystery here. Now, who exactly is this character in chapter 17 that is a woman and who is symbolically playing this role. And I'll tell you who it is. It is the one world religion and it is the rise of the ecumenical world church. Okay, so what does the word ecumenical mean? Well, it means just a compilation of religions together into one world religion. And we're seeing that take form or take shape right now. I mean, we're really moving in that direction big time and have been for years, okay? It's like the so, coexist, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so most people are somewhat aware of this, some more than others. If you've been kind of interested in these topics, you would be well aware that it is moving, 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 and uh, it's taking form which really indicates, yes, we are in the end times. There's no question. So let's go ahead with verse 1, and it says, And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will shew unto thee the judgments of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Okay, so this is one of the angels that we see in a prior section who had the vials or the bowls, and that would have been in chapter 16. And so he's also now talking to John, and he's saying that he's going to show him the judgment of this great whore. This would be the one world religion he's calling the whore. So then it says she's sitting upon many waters. Okay, what are these waters? 
Well, the answer's right in verse 15 of the same chapter 17. And the answer is, The waters which thou sawest, where the horse sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Okay, so those are the waters that, you know, she sitteth upon many waters. And so that's what that means. It means that these are people groups, large multitudes of them, nations, and people with a variety of languages, tongues. And so she's got control over large numbers of people are drawn into this mega one-world religion, okay? So verse 2 reads, With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Okay, so we just said, who are the waters? They're all these, you know, large numbers of people from all tribes and, and nationality, nationalities. And it goes on in verse 2, talking about how they were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Now, does that mean they're actually alcoholics? No, okay? <laughs> <laughs> they are drunk on the false prophecies of this false prophet. They are buying in to the lies and, you know, the leadership of this One World Religion program. And this ties in directly, Dina, with James chapter 4, verse 4. So let me read that. It says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. So whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Okay, so they are absolutely intoxicated with this whole one world, basically, let's all hold hands and get along, except it has nothing to do with Jesus Christ, which is a big mess, okay? And so we go to verse 3. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Okay, so I just want to say something here i want to say that now remember that john is having a vision and this is all symbolic what he's seen but it actually represents real people real action real organizations this one world religion it shows sitting upon a scarlet colored beast okay we know that this beast is the antichrist we can see if we looked in chapter 13 of Revelation, verse 1, John says, I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And this was the explanation that these ten horns, who also have crowns, are a confederation of Western nations. And this would be the same ten toes of the statue of Nebuchadnezzar that Daniel sees in the book of Daniel which is the toes are made of clay and iron. And the iron represents the revival of the old Roman Empire because iron represented the Roman Empire that died from corruption in previous centuries. Okay, so <laughs> there's a lot to cover here, but hang with me. We're, we're going to do it. And so what I'm trying to say is that the reason that the Antichrist shows up in this scripture as scarlet colored beast, because previously, if you'll know what I just read, he's not scarlet. Oh boy, there's a big change, Dina, between chapter 13 and chapter 17. He is pictured as scarlet because he's a bloody antichrist, okay? 
That makes perfect sense. Oh, yeah. He has a lot of blood on his hands. He's become an assassinator and an executioner. Isn't that something? Well, he said that anybody that doesn't take his mark, you know, um, we find that he beheads them. Yeah. So, yeah. And he takes, he takes no prisoners, by the way. And let me just comment right here, because in the scripture, it talks about him being a scarlet colored beast. A lot of people didn't know this, but the Antichrist is referred to in the Bible as the Assyrian, the Assyrian. And let me tell you about the Assyrians. The Assyrians were an ancient foe of the Israelites way back, way, way back. We're going into the way back machine of the Old Testament. (laughs) And they were probably one of the most evil people of ancient Israel times. And here's why. The reason they were so feared by all the nations that they ever came against was they were absolutely ruthless. And what they did was a kind of psychological warfare, Dina. Mm-hmm. They would go in and t- they probably take the leaders out first, and then they would decapitate them, and they take their heads and put them on sticks and line them up in front of these villages that they were going into. And so people all around were terrified of the Assyrians, okay? It was a psychological warfare thing. And so God, he assigns the name, the Assyrian, to the Antichrist because he uses the same tactics that the Assyrians used, you know, in battle. And he does the same thing. Isn't that interesting? It's very interesting. And so it all ties together. But at this point, we see her sitting, her being this mystery Babylon whore, sitting on upon the scarlet colored beast who is the bloody antichrist and at this point he has slaughtered many perhaps he's an executioner at this point and he would have probably covered more ground than hitler could have even thought of at this juncture so that's where we are in the bible at this point it's horrendous so now we go on and i and i want to talk about right here the false prophet who's part of this whole one world religion the false prophet mm-hmm over it we've talked about religious spirits in the past and religious spirits are a spirit of confusion so what we have here is we have a one world religion who is promoting the one world government antichrist and it's a spirit of it's confusing okay you've got a religious group which is consists of all these different religions coming together who are promoting an executioner that's confusing, isn't it? It's like, I don't know if it's just me or what, but I, that's a little confusing, right? It's like backwards. It's supposed to be saving lives, not taking life. Yeah, but you know what? That's just how this is going to play out. Okay, verse 4 says, And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold, precious stones, pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness in her fornication. So she's a fornicator against God by, you know, turning to all this anti-God, anti-Christ stuff. We see her also in purple. Okay, she is in purple. That signifies royalty. You know, she considers her, you know, this one world religion is like it's royalty in the world, like in charge. And we see her with a scarlet color, just like the beast before. And so she's decked out 
the scripture says, with gold, precious stones, and pearls. Well, I guess you would be if you were, you know, on top of the world and everybody was, you, you know, your oyster. You mm-hmm. would uh, be getting all the money and the donations and the gold from all the world religions, right? So she's got her hands on all this gold, but she's also a bloody scarlet color representing blood. And she has blood on her hands. And so let's take a look real quick at this scripture in Second Peter 2, 1 and 3. And I'm going to read about false prophets because we're talking about the false prophet of all time (laughs) right now. So here's what it says in Peter. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction whose judgment now of a long time lingereth and not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Okay, so I would say that is definitely for the false prophet of all time who is the false prophet at the end of Revelation here. And that would apply to him. Okay, so verse 5, we're going to go forward. It says, And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And so... She is over all the harlots as a mother, and what I think that has to do is her having to be over all the various religions. She's like the the high force of all the religions, the mother of them all. As they unite, all the heads of the religions are coming together under this same organization, which is the one world religion. And so we see them all convening together. And I'm talking about all of them. And we can already see this taking shape now. There's even a building that's even, like, come out that's dedicated to the One World Religion now. Right, Dina? That's right. We can take a look at another scripture here that she aligns with is in Mark 7, 7 and 13. How be it in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered. And I think she is the mother of all traditions, right? Remember, this goes back to the Pharisees who were, had religious spirits, and Jesus said they were like white sepulchers filled with dead men's bones, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you recall that? Yes. I think that's extremely applicable to who this whore is in this book right now. And as I said, the religious spirit is a spirit of confusion, okay? Not unlike the idea that Satan, who is represents evil, comes as an angel of light. Well, that goes back to the Garden of Eden when Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and she ate from the tree, and she gained the knowledge of evil, but she also gained the knowledge of good. And what that means is the coming into her own will, apart from the will of the Father, so that anything good done outside of the will of the Father is evil. Because basically, like what the atheists are doing is they say they can do good and they don't need God. And so that's what that's all about. And that's the same for this one world religion, is they are playing God and saying we can do all this good and we don't need God. And they can also execute you know, promote an executioner who is the Antichrist. So (laughs) it's all about confusion, okay? And so that's what we see here, a lot of confusion, all under the auspices of religion. How do you like that, Dina? (laughs) It figures. (laughs) And, you know, it's not really 
you know, we don't worship a God of religion. We worship a God of relationship. Amen. Amen. So verse six here says, and I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Okay, John is not admiring her in a perspective of, wow, look at what she's accomplished. He is actually just in awe of this evil, this grand scale worldwide evil. And the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of these martyrs of Jesus because, you know, she's promoting the antichrist and his ways which is saying do it my way or the highway okay because he takes no prisoners and she's all promoting him and it's really like if they don't go along with this plan they lose their life they give up their life and so that's essentially what the scripture is talking about that blood of the saints she's drunken with is all those who would refuse to follow the antichrist because they believe in the testimony of Jesus Christ, and they go straight up against this madness, and they have to lose their life. And that's just how bad it's going to be, okay? Mm-hmm. Let's take a look at verse 7. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. Okay, so the angel is talking about the mystery Babylon, who is the one world religion, being carried by the beast, who is the Antichrist here. And we see those ten horns in reference to the ten nations that the Antichrist is over. Okay, verse 8, the beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. Talking about the beast here, and it says that we see that he was and he's not, and then he ascends out of the bottomless pit and to go into perdition. And those that dwell on the earth are in awe of this, especially those whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Now, that's important to note. It's saying that those who are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, Dina, are duped. They're in wonderment by this guy. They're buy-in to his game, who is the Antichrist. It's like the ultimate deceiver. Exactly, exactly. But what we see here is that anybody who is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they are not falling for this guy's stuff, okay? (laughs) It says it right here (laughs) in the scripture. And so, basically, this beast that was and is not and yet is, is the Antichrist who is assassinated, dies, and then resurrected. And that's the jump-off point where a lot of people are, like, buy into him because they see it as miraculous, It's also, as you have said before, a copycat of God. Well, he's Antichrist, so he's trying to, you know, copy Jesus Mm -hmm. and have a kind of false resurrection. So I would say that we're somewhere into, like, uh, the mid-trib situation here, three and a half years in. And so I want to just do a quick review of important points. We're just going to take a side trip off what we're reading here and i just want to make some important at this point 
of where what's going on in the mid-trib events up to this point. Things to note. So one of the things we note is that a peace pact had been made during the first three and a half years of seven-year tribulation. And then about midway in, the Antichrist, you know, breaks this peace pact with the world, okay? So, you know, we know that there has to be a reason leading up to the point where there is a peace pact made at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation for the Antichrist to make a false peace. It's false because there will be no real peace, Dina, until Jesus steps foot on the Mount of Olives at the second coming. He's the Prince of Peace. Nobody can make peace like he can. Okay. Amen. Amen. Yes, amen. And so another point to note of what's going down about mid-trib is the Jews realize they have gotten in bed with the wrong Messiah. Okay? <laughs> so to speak, <laughs> the Antichrist. And this is a real downer for them. All of a sudden, they're like, oh, they get it. They get it. And so that's a that's a huge point. About midway in, we see the Antichrist is assassinated and resurrected. We see that going on somewhere in there. And also, as noted in prior chapter, Satan, about midway in, is thrown down to the earth by God from his ruling vantage as the power and principalities of the air. Now, we know that he's in the air ruling from above because he's able to go about into heaven and he even goes to the Lord. And, you know, we see in the book of Job how he discusses Job with with God about, the you know, the, what they're going to give trials to Job. And God even says, what are you doing? And the devil says he's been walking about the earth. So he goes from earth to heaven easily. But at this juncture, he's thrown down to the earth by God. And even heaven is celebrating at that point. So another point to note is the Antichrist dies and is probably possessed of Satan as he comes back in his resurrected state. Okay? So that's something we definitely... Now, he's probably under demon possession. There are two sons of perdition in the Bible, Dina. Mm -hmm. And Antichrist is son of perdition, pre-Antichrist state. And so was Judas, who betrayed Jesus, called the son of perdition. So they get some kind of special title there, <laughs> I think, because they receive some really special possession from the enemy. Okay? That's just my take on it. But Okay, so let's take a look at... Point six of what's going on here at mid-trib, and we see Russia is invading Israel. So we can refer to Ezekiel 38 and 39 because a false peace pact is broken by the Antichrist, and anybody can go back and read about that in Daniel 9:27. and Russia raids the Holy Land in Ezekiel 38:11. And we also know at this point that Satan is raging mad because he's been thrown down to earth. And he has three and a half years before he knows where his destination is. And so he wants to take out as many people as possible at that juncture. And we're going to go forward because about this point, we begin to see the destruction of the one world religion. So those are some points on mid-trib activity I wanted to make. So we come back to where we are in chapter 17 about the one world religion and this mystery Babylon. Verse 9 goes on to say, And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains, 
on which the woman sitteth. Okay, so there you go. We get the whole revelation. It comes right into our vision that those seven heads that we keep hearing about are these seven mountains on which this woman sitteth. Now, what are these mountains? Okay, I can tell you they're in reference to Rome because Rome is on seven hills. And these seven peaks, I can read them in alphabetical order, okay? And Dina can put them up on the screen. It's Aventine, Kellyan, Capitoline, Esquiline, Palatine, Quirinal, and Viminal. And no, I'm not sure I pronounced those correctly, but that's okay. <laughs> Just bear with me. Okay, we see this as being the Roman Empire over there. It's the revised Roman Empire, and this is the headquarters of this mystery Babylon. And so what else happens to be in Rome in that location, Dina? Do you know? <laughs> this is a quiz. The Vatican. Exactly. Exactly. So I think I would be pretty solid in saying my belief is that the false prophet is the Pope. Okay. Yeah, I don't think you're far off. A lot of people, a lot of theologians have um, have thought the same thing. If it's the current pope, not sure. It could be any pope, any pope in that office. Because really, I don't know any other religious leader that all the world, you know, sits up and pays attention to. Like, there are religious leaders in various parts of the world for various parts of the religion. But for some reason, the pope is someone that the world, you know, all they have to do is say, he's the Pope, and everybody is, oh, he's the Pope, you know. So I think this is who our false prophet's going to be, whoever the, the current Pope will be. At that and time. Whether... It doesn't mean that the Pope right now could be, but it doesn't mean that the Pope right now is. Uh... But he could be. Very, very well could be, yeah. Right, right, because he is a Jesuit, and uh, do some research on that sometime. <laughs> <laughs> Jesuits were very, you know, have very dark history. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. Okay, let's go with verse 10. And there are seven kings, five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not, yet to come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. Okay, so those kings were of Assyria, Egypt, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. At the time that John had this revelation, okay? We have to remember that he had a revelation in a certain time frame. Let's go to 11. Verse 11, And the beast that was and is not, and even he is the eighth, and is of the seven, and goeth into perdition. So, number seven is the Antichrist, okay? After Rome. When Rome fell from internal corruption, the next great kingdom or empire is going to be the ten toes on the statue that Nebuchadnezzar sees is the revised Roman Empire. And so Antichrist is over that revised Roman Empire, and it says right here, he is the beast that was, it is, and he's the eighth in power because he's number seven, but then he's taken out, and I believe that's assassination. And then he comes back again, and that makes him eight. And he goes into perdition, meaning he's evil. Okay? That's all that means. And so this is what I'm trying to tell you. The mystery is solved that the guy in charge who is number seven is also number eight. Okay? Do you see that? Very interesting. Okay, verse 12 says, And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings. 
which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. That ten-toed Western alliance, we'll call it, is going to have a huge amount of power, but only for about an hour. Now, is that literal, the hour? No, that just means meaning uh, one hour literal. It means that they have a very small period of time, which would probably be roughly around three and a half years, possibly. And so verse 13 goes on to say, These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. With that saying, that the beast is, they're going to let the beast take over them. They're going to give him power over them. Then we go on to verse 14. These shall make war with the lamb and the lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords, king of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Okay, so wow, you know, the Bible reminds us that all this is going on, that God's still in charge. Okay, that's very important. We see that. Amen. Verse 15, we talked about before, about the waters that the horse sits upon. And it says, And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the horse sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Now, before we go to verse 16, there's something really important I want to talk about. And I want to talk about this one world religion that's taking shape, taking form. And Dina, I want to tell you about something that the Lord led me to. And I want to say it's been many years. And I'll tell you about what the time frame was. Probably within the two terms of President Obama. Okay? Mm -hmm. Somewhere in that time frame. God took me to some information on the internet that I read, and okay, I'm not speaking out of line here, because believe it or not, the information was absolutely available to anybody that had a computer and internet access. So it wasn't like I got into anything that was secretive, okay? (laughs) But at the same time, I want to say that I was shocked by what I read, and I God brought me to this information And there's no question. And let me tell you what I stumbled on. Well, I won't say stumble, not a good word, but what God himself led me to. I was led to some notes, meeting notes, that were available through the subcommittee of the United Nations called the Alliance of Civilizations. Have you ever heard of that organization? I've never heard of it. Well, I think probably most people haven't, but there was a subcommittee, and I don't know if it's still in existence, of the United Nations called the Alliance of Civilizations. And it was interesting to note that a little time after I had read this, God took me to this, then I saw that President Obama joined that organization at some point in his presidency, and the world yawned. At that announcement but I set up and pay attention because I knew what that meant but let me go forward to talk about this point it's very important I got a hold of these notes I don't know how many years ago but it's been a few years and I it was one of those things where you're reading it and you're not believing what you're reading okay your mouth is dropping my mouth was down on the floor you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And with shock and awe, sort of like John, (laughs) you know, just, whoa. And this is what I read. I'm going to try to say it. I don't have the copy, but I'm going to try to say it. They were in a discussion. Now, 
let me set this up with, I got to tell you that I would say the majority, if not all of them, are probably atheists at this point in this group, okay? We're going to call them probably atheists because what they say just is mind-boggling. I went on and did some more research about the person in charge of the European Union at that point, and he was clearly an atheist, okay? Mm-hmm. And his philosophy was this. They, they have no understanding or comprehension of religion. They believe that most of the strife that goes on in the world stems from religions. And they think, well, religion is the opiate of the masses, They do not believe there is a God, but they believe that people need a God as an opiate, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is their philosophy. Okay, well, if people have a God over them, let's try to get all of these people on with the same God so that there won't be so much warring among them. And they go on in this document, and they talk about how Judaism is an ancient and dying-off religion. And then they go on and they talk about, but hey, look at this. Here's a high point. We think that the Messiah of the Islamic and the Messiah of the Christians could be merged into one Messiah. Oh, boy. So we can just, like, get rid of judaism's god and unite everybody under the same messiah between you know the the christian and the muslim world and so this probably was you know the beginning of the chrislam phase do you remember the chrislam movement movement yes yes and so you know i was reading this with absolute and utter amazement i couldn't believe what i was reading it was just I was overwhelmed that they were literally in a United Nations meeting discussing basically what, how they think they can manipulate everybody into this belief. And I mean, I was shocked on two levels. I, to me, it was like, wow, we are really coming down to the end of it all. And the other one was, I can't believe that people could sit around and actually talk about such things as they were, you know? Certainly very evil. Wow, it was certainly very evil. And so I want to also mention that there was a prior G8 World Religion Summit. And here is what was said at this multi-religion summit, which was hosted by Prince Philip and the British Royals. Remember him? Yes, yes. Right. And this, (laughs) this is what was said at that event. And I quote, we were asked to privately perform a water ritual for this, and it says, for this will give strength to Mother Earth. Everything that's alive, even the water, it was explained to the delegates and observers, has the spirit. We were told that religiously speaking, there is not only one way, there is many ways. And go to the sacred fire and invoke the spirits. Okay, so... That was the royals, you know, putting together a one-world religion summit. It took place simultaneously as the G8 summit was going on at that time point. And so, you know, of course, this is the Prince Philip that recently passed. Yeah. And so this was their thrust and has been and has not changed. 
And so you see that years ago, this was already taking form and is much more underway at this juncture than it's ever been. Okay, so, you know, after talking about the alliance of civilizations and the evil that is being done behind closed doors, I want to go back to verse 16, and it says, And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, that's the Antichrist, these shall hate the whore. Okay, the whore is a one-world religion. And shall make her desolate, naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Okay, if this was ever an evidence of how evil eats their own, this would be it. Because basically, after Antichrist has used this one world religion to move into position, he turns and destroys her, takes her out. And so it's interesting, the scripture talks about her becoming naked, because I want to mention that there are reports that when people are seen in hell, they're naked. They are, they have no clothes. Yeah. And so this is really like, wow, she's doomed. She's doomed. She did her evil deed for the Antichrist, and now he destroys her. He no longer needs her. And let me just mention this. This is the two-point operation of the enemy, is to use you and destroy you. Every time. That's Every right. time, Dina. That's so true. Every time the enemy is working in your life, if you're not surrendered to the will of the Father, you are currently, A, being used by the enemy, and B, you will be destroyed by him, if you don't turn back to the Lord right now. And that's how it works. So if you have not made a full surrender, to the Father, through the salvation of Jesus Christ, through repentance and the filling of the Holy Spirit and full surrender to the Father's will, then you are presently being used by the enemy and you haven't made it yet, but your destination is to be destroyed by the enemy. Just like the Antichrist has done after he has used the one world religion, the whore that sits on many mountains, okay, the seven hills. So let's go forward with verse 17. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And so this scripture is huge. I want to talk about it for just a minute. I just want to say that God does it. He puts it in their hearts to do his will. Okay, he gave Pharaoh a hardened heart so that he would withstand ten plagues. He opens hearts and he closes them. And so basically, I'm here to tell you that you don't have to worry about who's in power because that's God's concern. It is for the Christians to pursue the Lord's work, which is to go after the lost souls. Amen. God is in charge of who's in charge all the way. There's never any guesswork. It's, it's always up to him who's running the show. And so the Christians need to focus on getting people saved. Now, there's going to be some Christians that are up in arms about what I just said. But I'm here to say, if we ever ran out of people to save, okay, great, go back and work on politics. But today, we haven't done that, folks. <laughs> there are going to be so many people lost and not make it through the rapture that it's not funny. And so, you know, don't worry about what is God's work. 
worry about what is the work of the Lord for you, which is to help grow the kingdom of God. Amen. And so if there ever was a scripture that explains it, it's this one right here. So now I want to go to verse 18, and I want to say, And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. And so we now, we see that that woman who is called Mystery Babylon is the one world religion. And, you know, the likes of people like Oprah Winfrey, who is peddling her false New Age toll Eckert religion of taking good from all religions and saying, you know, forming their own religion. Uh, this is the height of evil. And it's all coming together. It's very much, it's here. It's, it's already here, and all of it's lining up. And boy, is this amazing to watch. We have an amazing vantage point of being the generation to witness what's about to happen. Dina? Absolutely. We're living biblical prophecy right this minute. We are. We are. But we're still in chapter 2 and 3. We have not even stepped into chapter 4. So we haven't entered the future yet. We're still in present tense of Revelation back in chapter 2 and 3. And so none of the seals have been opened. We're not in tribulation yet because Jesus hasn't stepped forth in chapter 5 to be the one to open the seals. None of that has taken place yet. So not to be confused. But we can sure take a look how everything is culminating towards this end. And so I implore everybody to come back into chapter 18 in the next video where we talk about the other Babylon, which is the great city, which represents the one world government. So come back and we're going to talk about that further. Yes, absolutely. You will not want to miss that show. So Susan, thank you so much for uh, coming on here and teaching us with the power of the Holy Spirit. You are so appreciated. Well, thanks, Dina. I appreciate your uh, help with these videos. And wow, nobody does it like Dina there. (laughs) Thank you. It's a pleasure to serve you. It's a pleasure to serve God. And it's such an honor to have you guys, um, the listeners, tune into the show. We are so grateful for you. So thank you so much for uh, listening to this series. And um, if you want to find other copies of this, it will be uploaded here on YouTube, of course. We'll also have it in our playlist at Jesus 24-7 and on BitChute as well as Rumble. And in addition to that, Deanna will create podcasts. So you will be able to find this on Google and Apple and Spotify and Anchor. So with all of that said... Thank you again, everybody, for watching, and stay tuned for Revelation chapter 18. God bless everyone.